Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I want to share a study with you this evening that I've looked with you at in the past, and that is a tale of two cities. We have alluded to this in uh, recent studies of biblical themes, prophetic themes, but it seems like the Lord drew my heart back to this in light of what we're seeing uh, this week and uh, dealing with nationally. I said to someone coming in this evening, I was impressed by the uh, police officers and those seeking to hold the peace in Washington, D.C. today. When you think of people uh, coming against the buildings that you've come to know as symbolizing your nation and people restraining the bullets from flying as best as they could, there's an ethic that says property is more important than people. Sometimes that ethic is put to the test when uh, people are defacing or uh, plummaging uh, those buildings that have come to represent our freedom and uh, the country that we love. And so I, I was very thankful today that uh, there were uh, as few injuries as, as happened. But all that to say, we do love that land that God has given to us. Uh, there is an old poem that begins with the phrase, breathes there a man with heart so cold. And it speaks about that one who doesn't really have a love for his homeland. Everyone ought to have that love and Christians have that love as well. But there are times, and today I think is one of those times, when we have to lift up our eyes and realize that our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians chapter 3 declares that every New Testament believer is a dual citizen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our vile bodies that they may be like unto his glorified body. What a day that's going to be. And I begin this evening by opening my Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, and verse 8, we read about Abraham, that when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. He was leaving Ur, a great capital city. He was leaving a land of opulence, and he was going after the command of God to a place that he knew not where. And verse 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Dickens, in his tale of two cities, speaks of London and Paris. But when you read your Bible, you'll come to to discover that the Bible actually has woven into it a tale of two cities. Certainly not London and Paris, but the tale of two cities that we find in the pages of God's Word are the cities of Babylon and Jerusalem. When you read of Babylon in the Bible, you'll come to discover that Babylon is spoken of in the Bible some 280 times, and Jerusalem some 750 times. These two cities are set in God's Word as polar opposites. They're there to teach us spiritual lessons. And this evening, I want us to consider those lessons in light of our pilgrimage here. As Americans who love our country, who see affairs in the world through the the lens of Scripture, there's no better study, I believe, this evening than for us to consider this biblical tale of two cities. These cities held in contrast, and the first city that we consider is a city that is built after man's design. And that is the city of Babylon. Take your Bibles and turn back with me to the book of Genesis and the 10th chapter. Many of you have been reading your Bible through this year, and you've recently been reading 
through Genesis, or perhaps you're doing like me. I read a little in the Old Testament, uh, a little in the Psalms, and a little in the New Testament every day and get through my Bible that way. At least that's what I'm doing this year. And so I've just recently read through uh, this particular chapter. We're going to Genesis chapter 10 this morning, or this evening rather, where we discover the history of Babylon is both ancient and diverse. When you hear Babylon, you immediately probably think of the name Nebuchadnezzar, and you should. Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of Babylon during a time of tremendous expansion. He's spoken of in the book of Daniel. He is in Daniel's image, the one who has the golden head. He is the lion in Daniel's image of the various beasts. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a very prominent place in biblical prophecy, and that prominent place comes from his rulership over Babylon. In Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is pictured with Babylon as a great tree. Daniel wrote from Babylon. Daniel prayed in Babylon. Lots of things historically happened in Babylon. Alexander the Great died in Babylon. For 2,000 years, Babylon was the center of world commerce. Those who go back in time and think about Babylon know that it was the commercial and financial capital of Mesopotamia. It's in the land that today we know of as Iraq. It linked the Orient by trade route together toward the Middle East and on down into Egypt to the south. And so Babylon had a very strategic place along the trade routes. Lots of things that we enjoy today actually came out of Babylon. Seldom do we think of it, but we'll think of it tonight for just a moment. Math. My, how the Babylonians excelled in mathematics. Have you ever wondered why there are 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour and 360 degrees uh, in a circle? All these things come out of Babylonian mathematics. They began there in Babylon. Astronomy and the beginnings of the study of astronomy in Babylon, astrology as well. Where did the zodiac come from? And shame on the people who pick up the newspaper. You can't do that anymore, can you? Or look online to wonder what's happening in your zodiac symbol by the day. I'm proud to say I don't know what my zodiac symbol is. Don't tell me tonight, all right? I don't know, but I do know it traces back to Babylon. So does contract law. The idea of contracting for the purpose of business advancement and for the purpose of some semblance of order and culture traces its way back to Babylon. Much that we enjoy by way of art comes from Babylon. Accounting principles developed initially in Babylon. And then when we think about Babylon, this contract law, you're familiar, of course, with the name Hammurabi. Hammurabi, Babylon. Babylon is seldom thought of, but Babylon's imprint upon the lives that we live today is very real. And here's what you discover. When you read your Bible from Genesis to the book of the Revelation, 280 times you're going to find Babylon. And when you read about Babylon, you're reading about a place that God uses to describe mankind's depravity and the end result of humanistic worldliness. Not just humanistic worldliness, but more than that, the epicenter of all forms of false religion, the epicenter of all forms of idolatry. And so let's be reminded this evening of this city and its founder. We've opened our Bibles this evening to Genesis chapter 10, 
where we read about the foundations of Babylon being laid and who established this, this city. Genesis 10, beginning in verse 8, and Cush begat Nimrod. I was standing in the church foyer, not here, but in a church foyer a number of years ago, and a Christian woman was describing the challenges that she was having with her husband, and she said to me, he's a real Nimrod. I had never heard anyone use that phrase like that. Obviously, she was speaking pejoratively. I went back and looked it up, and she was kind of calling him a fool. That's not what the name Nimrod means. The word Nimrod means rebel. And Nimrod in the Bible lives down to his name. His name means rebel. And we read in verse 9, He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it's said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. This man was a rebel. He was a noteworthy hunter, verse 9, strong with a bow, strong with a spear. He was a hunter, a mighty one. That word mighty one actually can be translated to have the idea he was, he, he was a tyrant. He was a, a bully, a first-class bully. And the word before in this verse can also be translated as the word against. And I think that fits the context better because after all, the name Nimrod means rebel. And he was a tyrant who had opinions that were contrary to the opinions of God. He was against the things of God. He lived in the plains of Shinar, these grassy, fertile plains along the, the Tigris and the Euphrates, a fertile area filled with lions. Lions liked to lurk in the grassy areas of Shinar. And so a man with hunting skills was a very important man in the community. And so we're meeting this man, Nimrod, the founder of Babylon, or Babel. And when we come to Genesis chapter 11, the Bible begins to help us understand the focus, the focus of Babylon. And we find the focus to be ever so man-centric. And the whole earth, verse 1, was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from east they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let's make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. They left off to build the city. Therefore the name of it is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth." They were a people who were prone to large-scale building projects. They wanted to build this great tower for self-aggrandizement. They wanted to build this great tower to draw the people together collectively for religious purposes. They were building tall towers. You know what's interesting? 
Anybody want to guess where the tallest building in the world is today? It's in Dubai. So the Empire State Building, rough numbers here, the Empire State Building I think is something around 1,500 feet tall, and the tallest building in the world today in Dubai is 2,700 feet tall. So the Sears Tower in Chicago, if you've seen that, also about 1,500 feet. So you're almost doubling that when you go to Dubai. And all over that region, they're really into building really tall buildings. I flew into Qatar or Qatar a few years back, and as I flew in and I saw that, um, those majestic buildings there on the sand, they, they give free tours if you have time in the airport and you want to take a bus tour of uh, their capital city, they'll give it to you for free. I stayed in the airport. From my perspective, you've seen one tall building, you've kind of seen them all, and uh, it didn't really appeal to me. But uh, tall buildings, they were building a tall building. But they were violating a command that God had given. God had said to Noah in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1 that he was to be fruitful and to replenish the earth, to spread. And rather than spreading out, they were gathering together. The commandment to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth is one that's repeated throughout the passages of God's word and often forgotten even by God's people. Nimrod had decided, according to Genesis chapter 11, verse 2, and the people that followed after him to build a tower to heaven. Babylon's focus, self-centered, a worldly focus. Verse 4, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us Make a name. In Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar looks out over Babylon. Babylon must have had this attraction to more than one generation. As Nebuchadnezzar looks out over Babylon, the great city that he had developed, he's probably the first master planner of any city beyond what we see here in Nimrod and the people that preceded him. But he master planned the great city of Babylon with its magnificent walls, the river that ran through it to give it water so that it could be besieged but not, could, be, could not be taken. So was the theory. He looked out, you'll remember, in the book of Daniel chapter 4 and verse 30, and he said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by my might and by my power? Of course, he was looking out on the hanging gardens. He had married a woman from a mountainous region. And so he had the horticulturalist of Babel put together this great monument and along the monument, this pyramid that he built, he built and placed on it uh, great flowering plants that would make it look from afar like a mountain. He built a mountain with greenery for his wife. The walls of Babylon during that time were so wide at the top that they could race six chariots abreast on the top of the walls. Imagine that. And the great river... Uh, the Euphrates is flowing through it, and so it seemed to be impregnable, but it was a place of pride. Daniel 4 and verse 32 tells us that God looked down on Nebuchadnezzar and said, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, I think you've been proud long enough. Tell you what you're going to do, buddy. Anybody remember what he did? Why don't you eat grass for a little while? I'm going I'm to give you a, a mental disorder that's going to cause you to go out and live like an ox. The thing that we need to see most is the faith of Babylon or the faith of Babel. Revelation 17 and verse 5, no accident this reference. Revelation 17 and verse 5 says that Babel or Babylon is the mother of harlots and the mother of abominations. The faith of Babylon ought to be well known to us. After all, in Daniel chapter 3, 
on the plains of Dura. Remember that great obelisk that's set up there, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And the people that are there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are told, if you don't fall down and worship in this ecumenical way with all the other people that are here, it's not going to go really well for you. In fact, uh, it's going to be a hot time in the old, the old town tonight. And so they hit the fiery furnace over it. But you'll recall that the faith of Babel, according to God's word, was idolatry. Revelation 17 and verse 5 is a key to our understanding. Because when we go back historically and look at the history of Babylon, Babel, and what has come out of Babel, you might find yourself really intrigued. There are mystery religions that come out of Babylon that have traced their way over hundreds of years, centuries, and even millennia. It starts with Nimrod. Nimrod was the leader of Babylon. And so I'm going to read you a little bit of the history of the religion of Babylon. Nimrod and his followers said, let us make a name, Genesis 11, verse 4. The wife of Nimrod, according to ancient writings, was Semiramis. She became known as the queen of heaven and high priestess. It was her image with a dove upon her head and wings outstretched like the horns of the new moon, which became the sem or the sign of defiance of God, the banner of Babylonianism. And so we can look at that this evening a little bit and realize that there have been archaeological digs that have discovered some of the imagery, the idols of Babylon. And here you're seeing uh, some of that idolatrous uh, some of those idolatrous works, Semiramis, the so-called wife of Nimrod, and Tammuz, her son. In fact, this continues. Semiramis was said to have been miraculously impregnated, miraculously impregnated by a sunbeam, a counterfeit miraculous birth. According to the legend, her husband Nimrod had died and become the sun god. A sunbeam, so the account goes, carried Nimrod's seed to his wife, providing for a counterfeit virgin birth. And while out hunting, her miraculously born son, Tammuz, was killed by a wild boar. Semiramis wept for 40 days, and Tammuz came to life again. A counterfeit resurrection. Thus begins a counterfeit religious system, all of it, revolving around the worship of a counterfeit mother and a counterfeit son. And so we can trace it historically and discover in Egypt there's a very similar mythology, a similar legend, but in Egypt, and these are uh, pictures from Egyptian paintings, there's Isis and Osiris in Assyria, the same imagery, and some of it was quite graphic and I had to be careful in my selections. Ishtar, the uh, sun-impregnated wife uh, who bears Bacchus, who becomes the god, the god rather, of wine and debauchery. In India, the legend is Issi and Isvar. In Asia, it's Sybil and Diosis, pardon my pronunciations here. In Greece, it's Aphrodite and Eros. In Rome, it's Venus and Cupid. And if any of these images have looked like, yeah, that kind of almost looks familiar to things that we see today, there's probably a reason for that. Because all these images do boil down to things that you do see today. And some of the images on the screen right now you might recognize. You say, man, that looks like the Statue of Liberty. Hmm. And there are sunbeams coming from her head. I wonder where that idea came from. 
If you're looking at Starbucks coffee up there, I wonder where that idea came from. Was that original? But most especially, you're going to notice that the Mary and Christ of Catholicism, uh, in fact, in Roman Catholic religion, Mary is considered to be the co-redemptrix. And in Roman Catholic religion, she was considered to be born without sin. And so when the Roman Catholics talk about uh, the sinlessness of birth, they're not talking about the Lord's birth, they're talking about Mary's birth. And so the Mariolatry of Roman Catholicism is a direct flow from Nimrod and Babylonianism. So this is the faith, and we'll come back to that in a moment, but for right now I want us to take our Bibles and go to the book of the Revelation. The book of the Revelation, and let's just look at a couple of passages in the book of the Revelation that tie together Babylon. We're going to start by going to Revelation chapter 9. I know it's not on your outline sheet tonight, but I think it's well for us to go to Revelation chapter 9 as we consider the future, the future of Babylon. Revelation chapter 9. Look at verse 13. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 13. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river, what river is it? Euphrates. Now, the Euphrates River ran right through Babylon. These angels of the end times are loosed. They were bound under the great river Euphrates. Good angels or bad angels? Keyword bound. Good angels or bad angels? Bad, all right? So they're now loosed from the Euphrates. Now, that's a mystery to us at some level, but it does seem that God uses even the elements of the earth, to confine the spiritual beings. I don't understand it all. But I do know that these angels are being loosed from the very place that the Bible identifies as the epicenter of idolatry. And watch what happens, verse 15. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, to slay the third part of men. The number of the army, the horsemen, were 200,000, thousand, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. I saw them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone and heads of the horses were as heads of lions. Out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. Their tails were like unto serpents, their heads and with them they do hurt, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not the works of their hands. This is a demonic host unleashed from the Euphrates during the tribulation period. And what we ought to find interesting is how often Babylon is spoken of in the book of the Revelation. The Bible is like a great belt buckle. What is revealed in the book of Genesis is going to have to be sealed up in the book of the Revelation. And so whether it's the tree of life that's in the book of Genesis and the tree of life restored in the book of the Revelation, or now we find Babylon initiated in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings, and now we come to the book of the Revelation. And we turn to the book of Revelation, the 17th and 18th chapter, you'll remember all about Babylon. In Revelation chapter 17, religious Babylon is being described. Isn't this interesting? Verse 1 of chapter 17. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I'll show unto thee the great, 
the, the, the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of the abomination and filthiness of her fornication. Golden cup, purple and red. Hmm. And upon her forehead was the name, Mystery Babylon, the great mother of harlots, the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. The angel said, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and the beast that carried her, which has seven heads and ten horns. And he continues on to describe the end, and you'll want to read it, but we don't have time this evening, of religious or spiritual Babylon. We come over to chapter 18, and in chapter 18 the theme continues to be Babylon. And now it's economic Babylon. Recently I said... When we read Jerusalem in the Bible, we're reading about Jerusalem, literally. And it's fascinating, even this week, in the midst of all of our American political upheaval, two more countries have signed on to the Abraham Accords that were developed through Trump's White House. There's a coming together, and what, what is happening, if you're following Middle Eastern news, by unifying economically and for trade with Israel, What's happening is Iran is being more and more isolated. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Now, will that continue? Well, the Bible tells us a lot of things about Middle, the Middle East in prophecy. But here in Revelation 18, we read about Babylon. Now, remember, for 2,000 years, Babylon was the economic epicenter of the world. America has not been that economic epicenter for 2,000 years, right? We've had a, a pretty good run, but we haven't had 2,000 years. We haven't developed things that will be used for four and 6,000 years, I don't believe. Babylon did. And when I read about Babylon and Iraq today in the news, I believe that Babylon is Babylon. Iraq is Babylon. And it was very interesting when we entered into a couple of rounds of warfare over there to make a democracy out of Iraq. When we read here in Revelation chapter 18, we read, After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth have waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So Babylon has enriched the world. Well, that's the ancient world, Pastor Phelps. I think Babylon is going to enrich the world again. Not many years ago, under Saddam Hussein, Babylon was trying to press itself through a little country called Kuwait with the purpose of having a harbor, right? And we had a president that said, not so fast. I don't think we'll always have a president that will step in and say, not so fast. And the reason I say that is as I read this passage, 
I discover that the kings of the earth, verse 9, who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, will bewail her and lament when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour her judgment has come upon her. Now watch it. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her. No man will buy her merchandise anymore. And it continues, and the merchandise of her gold is silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen, purple and silk and scarlet and all fine wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of precious wood, cinnamon odors. It goes on and on. Verse 16, and they, the merchants, rather, verse 15, will, which were made rich, will stand afar off for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls for an hour, her riches have come to naught, and every shipmaster and the company in the ships and the sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like unto this great city? So what was happening today in Washington, D.C.? Terrible. Awful. It doesn't matter what political party you want to represent. What was seen on the screen today was terrible. But don't forget it was seen around the world. And people in America today were saying, this looks like a third world country. What do you think they're saying around the world? And of course, America has been that city on the hill. People around the world have looked to the dollar as the currency of choice. We have been the economic and the cultural and the political epicenter of the world. We have been. Do you think that might leave sometime? If it does, where do you think it's going to go? Phelps theory. Won't test you on it. I think it's going to leave sometime. I think it's going back to Babylon. And this is why. When we read the book of the Revelation, we're reading future events. In the future, we're reading about a literal place. Now, can I confess? When I was in college, and we got to Revelation 17 and 18, and we came to the topic of Babylon... There were all kinds of opinions that were being espoused. Some said, oh, that's Rome, because this city on the hills, and Rome's a city on the hills. Well, that, that might be America, because you know we're the economic epicenter of the world. Well, you know, we're not sure about America. Nobody said it's Babylon. That's shameful, isn't it? Why would we not say it's Babylon? We say Jerusalem's Jerusalem, and we do that from Genesis to Revelation. Why do we change the location of Babylon? Because Babylon was just a little pile of dirt. Oh, what will Babylon be? And how soon will it be what it will be? Well, right now, Babylon is being rebuilt. And American money and American soldiers have died to help in the rebuilding of Babylon. The Babylonian Empire, you'll see it noted there on the map uh, during the time of Nebuchadnezzar was a very expansive empire. Even today, Babylon is being rebuilt. Joe Chambers wrote a book entitled A Palace for the Antichrist. He talked about the magnificent gate of Ishtar. Remember the female goddess, the mother of Nimrod, whose worship is growing in the Western world. That Nimrod gate was actually taken apart by German archaeologists, and, or Ishtar gate rather, and reconstructed in Germany. But the one that I have here in the picture tonight is again in Babylon. Uh, they have redeveloped uh, their famous and ancient uh, gate, the Ishtar gate 
is back in Babylon. Now, the city is nothing, but uh, this is an archaeological site, and it was one that Saddam Hussein had a tremendous amount of interest in. Babylon's being rebuilt, and the, Bab the battle for Babylon is ongoing. When you know where Babylon is, it wasn't too many years ago when everyone was talking about ISIS. And if you look at the uh, perimeters of ISIS and see where ISIS is, why the interest in that particular area? Well, it's Babylon. It's the ancient region of Babylon. And I do believe there's going to be rebuilding there, and I do believe that the battle for Babylon is ongoing. Why? Well, the Word of God tells us that, tells us that there's a northern alliance, right? Spoken of in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 37 and 38. And that northern alliance is going to come down through a particular section of land. And the section of land that we're talking about this evening is that section of land. So the Bible talks about the rebuilding, it seems, of Babylon. It's going to be a place where people come together again for commerce. It's going to be a place of blessing. So let me just pause for a minute. I've got a couple minutes. And we won't spend as much time on Jerusalem tonight because most Bible readers are quite familiar with Jerusalem, but not nearly as familiar with Babylon. So in these few minutes, why would anybody today in 2021 be all that interested in Babylon, that area of Iraq? What's the big deal? What do they have that others want? Oil, big time, okay? So Iraqi, Iranian, Kuwaiti oil, the oil of the Middle East is still the largest available, easily available repositories of oil in the world. So what's happening right now politically in America with regard to energy independence? I'm going to talk to you as a West Virginian for a minute. So I'm from West Virginia. My aspiration in high school was to be a coal miner. The coal mines in West Virginia are still trying to chug along, but they're not getting very far. But hallelujah, about 20, 30 years ago, people discovered how much natural gas there is in West Virginia, and they started pumping that. If you go up and down the roads that were my roads coming home from college, Route 50 from Parkersburg to Clarksburg, West Virginia, and Route 79 going up to Morgantown, you're going to see all kinds of trucks, water trucks and big rigs, and you know what they're working? They're working the natural gas, and there's some fortunes being made in that region. But when people come along and say, yeah, this energy independence thing, let's do it with solar, what's it push us back to for easily accessible energy source it pushes you back to the Middle East. A number of really good books were written about 20 years ago. John Walver in particular wrote a book called uh, uh, something under the title of uh, Oil, the Middle East, and the Coming Armageddon on the idea being a lot of people are going to be having a focus on the Middle East because of her riches. That's what the Bible tells us in Ezekiel as well as in Revelation. Babylon begins to make sense when you see it that way. What's Babylon's future? Well, the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that Babylon's going to be wiped out. It's fallen, it's fallen. We read that in the book of Revelation. When you read something reiterated twice, remember that the language of the New Testament and the Old Testament had no punctuation marks. So if you're reading Greek or you're reading Hebrew, you don't have periods, you don't have commas, you don't have any punctuation marks. They just ran it all together. So if they wanted an exclamation point, they'd say the word twice. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That's an exclamation point. It's saying God for certain is going to destroy this place. And Isaiah says it this way. 
And Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. That hasn't happened yet. Isaiah 21 and verse 9 hasn't happened yet either. And behold, here cometh the chariot of men with a couple of horsemen, and he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the graven images of her gods he hath broken unto the ground. And so the prophecy of her rebuilding and the prophecy of her ruin are both sure. Now, just 30 years ago, people would have said, Babylon, that's figurative. I don't think we need to say figurative today. We have a couple of minutes, so let's fill these blanks in at least, all right? The Bible, remember, is a tale of two cities. That second city is Jerusalem. No city is dear to the heart of God or is prominent in God's word as the city of peace, Jerusalem. Friend, if you haven't been to Israel, you need to put it on your bucket list. Anyone who has been there would be able to tell you it's just an unbelievable thing when you see Jerusalem for the first time. It's just an amazing thing. God has so wired us, I think, to respond to what he is going to do and has done there. Jerusalem is the religious focal point of the world, considered a sacred place by over half the population of the world. The Jews, the Christians, the Muslims all come together in wanting land in Jerusalem. Now, there's no port in Jerusalem. While it's a high city, it's not a place with any natural resources. There are no great rivers running through Jerusalem. Why would Jerusalem be a place of prominence for these 4,000 years? Because God made it so. It's the only explanation. Jerusalem is a place prophesied by God. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, God spoke to Moses and said, When you go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about, so that you dwell in safety, then there will be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. This was not an accident. God wanted his name in Jerusalem. Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and the heave offerings of your hand, all your choice vows which you vow unto the Lord. Jerusalem is a very unique place in God's word. It's a place of God's design. In Psalm 48, verse 8, the Lord says he will establish it, speaking of Jerusalem, forever. That's a significant promise. Unlike Babylon, which is fading, Jerusalem is forever this city of God's design. But the Bible also tells us of the punishment of Jerusalem, the punishment of Jerusalem. Remember how the Lord looked out on Jerusalem when they had rejected his messianic claims? He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets. He said, and I'm sorry, that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto you. How often would I have gathered thee together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. God prophesied the punishment of Jerusalem, but God has also told us he will always preserve Jerusalem, always, forever. Psalm 132, verse 13, For the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation, this is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. Jerusalem has gone through battles, 70 AD with the Romans, 135 with Hadrian the Roman. A million people died in 70 AD, according uh, to uh, the history books, the Crusaders, so many times. But the Bible tells us this is a place that has been preserved and prepared by God. 
preserved. Psalm 132, verse 13, the Lord hath chosen it. He will dwell there and prepared by God. The word of God tells us in Psalm 87 of God's special affection for Jerusalem. Let's turn there and we'll conclude tonight. Psalm 87, seeking to fulfill the promise. We spent most of our time on Babylon this evening, but here in Psalm 87, the foundation is the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God. I will make mention of Rab, Rab, Rahab rather, in Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia, this man was born there. And of Zion it will be said, this and that man was born in her. The highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth upon the people that this man was born there. As well the singers and the players of the instruments shall be there. All my springs are in thee. God is preparing this wonderful place. And in the preparations, God's preparing for a day when there'll be a new temple in Jerusalem. Just read the end of the book of Ezekiel and you'll see the temple rebuilt. Right now there's a place called the Jerusalem Institute, or I'm sorry, the Temple Mount Institute. Uh, those who go to Jerusalem visit this place. The Temple Mount Institute is real close to the Holy Mount. And their plans are to have all the instruments in place, whether it be the trumpets or the vials or the altars or the clothing, when the offerings are given once again on the Holy Mount. In fact, from time to time, you'll read about it in the news that the Temple Mount faithful from the Temple Mount Institute are doing it again. What are they doing? They're, they're holding a service, a mock service, pretending that the temple is there. And boy, the Muslims just love that when they do it. But there is going to be a temple there once again. God has prepared this place, and one day he's going to present it to the Savior who's coming for Revelation 21. Watch how the Bible ends. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Tale of two cities, one that leads to destruction and one that leads to eternal bliss. Now, we're not residents of Jerusalem yet, but we can be affectionate for Jerusalem, like Abraham, who looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. This evening, when we see things shaking round about us, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. And remember, as much as we love this country, and we do, I trust you do, that we have a place that we love more, a place of God's promise. And that's the place that we look for. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.